Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And we are podcasting these programs. I call them broadcast podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and uh, many other locations. You folks are reposting our interviews at other places. Thank you for doing that. And we now have a YouTube channel where you can go uh, to uh, view our guests and see these programs, see these full length podcasts. We hope that you will do just that. I also encourage you, if you can support our broadcast uh, financially, we have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. And we also encourage you to go to our guest website. We'll be giving that to you shortly so that you can continue your evolutionary process as well as participate in. Are you ready for this one, folks? It's the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision. We're asking you to spend time going within, listening to the still small voice, finding that peace and calm and serenity. Maybe you'll get in touch if you've not found it before. You'll find your life's purpose somewhere in there. You'll get guidance to pursue that. We hope that you will spend that kind of time with us and with that voice and with that quiet space, whether it's meditation, whether it's just sitting out in nature, find a, a park. Our guest uh, doesn't necessarily live in Manhattan, but there, I'm, there's got to be a place or two in Central Park where you can <laughs> where you can go. And we're going to talk with our guest now. Our guest is a very special guest who is joining us all the way from New York. And his name is Dr. Joseph uh, Cardillo. He's Ph.D. He's a national leader in holistic uh, health care. He's the best-selling author of several books in the fields of health, mind, body, spirit, and psychology. And his latest book that we're going to be talking about is... Uh, the 12 Rules of Attention. Be, stay at attention, ladies and gentlemen. In the back of my mind, I'm hearing that line from the Cheech and Chong album where the teacher is going, class, and they're not listening, and it's going, shut up. And uh, so that's probably one of the rules. Maybe not. We'll find out from our, uh, our guest, Dr. Dr. Uh, Joseph, and how to avoid screw-ups, free Free up headspace and to do more and be more at work. I, I want to thank you so much, uh, Dr. Joseph, for joining us here on the program, if I may refer to you as such. Yes, thank you for having me, Richard. It's uh, it's this is an area we we get into quite often here on the program, having to do with health and wellness and taking care of mind, body, and soul. And it is something that um, sometimes befuddles folks. I, I've I've made no bones about uh, my uh, my personal health uh, issues on this program. Uh, you know, I, I lost vision in my left eye through glaucoma when I moved to Santa Barbara uh, in my 50s. Uh, I acquired, I say I acquired, uh, high blood pressure after moving to Santa Barbara in, the, uh, uh, <laughs> in 2006. And uh, just recently I had been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. You'd kind of think that I'm falling apart, that I'm going downhill, and I just turned 60. Well, my diabetes is in check. I don't have it anymore. Uh, my readings are right where they're supposed They were this in the 100 area <clears throat> before the pandemic. It was the pandemic that caused them, i.e. comfort foods. I mean, who wasn't eating comfort foods in April, May, June, July, August? Maybe That's they're right. still doing it. And then lots of sugar and co and carbohydrates and all of that stuff. Who knows how many people are weren't before but are now type 2 diabetic? 
I am not anymore. I will tell you that right now. And I have no intention of ever going back there. Um, I've had aches and pains, but I've also lost some weight. And it was primarily through that. So now those aches and pains in the joints are gone. Uh, I still deal with this, the, that, and the other thing. I wish I, there was a way of taking something that would repel bugs like mosquitoes. I don't know about up where you live, but when I work outside when it's warm, they're, they're, uh, they're eating. They're eating well, let me tell you. I consider myself prime real estate. Uh, but a lot of people, they don't take a look at the totality of what it takes to get the mind, body, and spirit, if you will, back in balance. And a lot of times it's hard to do anything with the mind or the spirit if the body is ailing, is diseased, is hurting and, and um, malfunctioning, shall we say. What my wife was saying when I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and we made the agreement and commitment that we were going to go back to the diet we were on before the pandemic, which is lots of vegetables, fruits, uh, low sugar, low carbon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and my blood sugar was around 100 on a regular basis. My A1C was around 100 on a regular basis. And, um, you know, we, we did that. And she says, this is what she said. She says, what you're going to do is you're going to heal your pancreas. If I'm understanding correctly, that's what creates the insulin. But a lot of people, they... They don't have that awareness. Is that is that a fair assessment from your perspective and your practice? Yeah, I <clears throat> I think that um, that that attention and awareness is is uh, really behind everything. I mean, everything you're talking about, that's for sure. So, give us uh, you've got this this new book uh, having to do with attention uh, because uh, we need to pay attention. You've got these twelve rules of attention. I kind of feel like uh, this is along the lines of the Ten Commandments of sorts. So, and we want to avoid screw-ups uh, on the one hand. We want to free up uh, headspace. It, it, there's a part of me that, that with that one uh, feels as though uh, we want to go in, we want to run defrag, we want to run check disk on our, our hard drive, uh, and then we want to uninstall anything that we're not using. Unfortunately, the brain doesn't quite work that way. Or does it? What does it mean to free up headspace? Well, it's a little bit of both. It, it does and it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank How you do for, you like that? That was clear. How do you like that for an answer? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really, it, it does or it doesn't. My, my whole approach to attention training uh, in my book, The 12 Rules of Attention, is that what we need is to regulate our attention. And mm -hmm. so... Um, when we regulate our attention, we're using the mechanisms in our brain, in our mind that allow us to take control. Uh, when we're not regulating our attention, our attention's still working, mm -hmm. but, but it, it's not under our control. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's really astounding is to me is that you know, some of the things that got me into this um, were the were were the repetition of workplace error that we all have. You know, we say to ourselves, "Oh no, not again!" You know, how many times? Have, you know, even you know, I can remember back my mother. You know, oh, if I had a dollar for every time I did that, you know, and yeah. that kind of thing. So you could whatever that whatever that means to you and your listeners. Uh, but 
it, it's during those moments uh, when we're not necessarily in control and when we're not in control uh, and our attention is doing its thing, uh, it's choosing for us how we're going to behave, what we're going to think, how we're going to act, even what we're going to feel, even our motor movements. It's taking control of the whole body and mind. Uh, and the, the outstanding statistic is that 96% of our day goes that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on one hand, you know, when I say these things to people, they say, oh, my goodness, 96% of my day, I'm doomed. <laughs> but, but not really, not really. We sort of evolved into this, and evolution has blessed us with a mechanism, another mechanism that takes control for us. And if it didn't take control for us, we'd have to relearn everything that we know. Every time we get in the car, we'd have to start from scratch. So we're kind of automated. Yeah. We're kind of automated all day long. Number one, if we perfected something, that's great. You know, athletes like to perfect things and then not have to think about it. Exactly. You know, and any, right. Any of us who have ever played any sport know that if you have to think about it, you can't really do it yet. Mm -hmm. So you want to automate it just like, uh, just like driving a car. Uh, but on the other hand, our mistakes are also automated. Our errors are automated. Um, one of the other statistics that's really kind of an kind of a, an outstanding kind of statistic is that there there's over six hundred and fifty billion dollars of error made at workplaces uh, due to uh, due to distraction and workplace error. So. You know, that, that's, that's something for organizations and industries and so on. On the other hand, on the other hand, 82% uh, of people feel that their greatest in, ingrained, inborn talents mm -hmm. are wasted at the workplace. Mm. So you put the two together and you have to ask the question, is there a relationship between error workplace error, and this feeling, this overwhelming feeling, 82% of people feel that their greatest talents are wasted at the workplace. Mm. When you put the two together, it's not so hard to imagine why we're distracted so easily. So, you know, automation has its thing. Mm -hmm. it, it allows us to filter through overwhelming information on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, zero in on what's important, but if we're not using it, it also, uh, it also encourages us to continue the way uh, we're moving about in this world. And if there's problems in there, we're just going to repeat them, whether they're physical, whether they're cognitive, whether they're emotional, uh, whether they're uh, motor skill, whatever they are, we're mm -hmm. just going to repeat them. Exactly. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. We're talking with uh, Dr. Joseph Cardillo, and we're talking about his book, as you see on the screen, The Twelve Rules of Attention. And uh, that's the focus of today's program, and uh, we hope that you will stay attentive to our program today as we talk about this. You, you talk about uh, screw-ups. Uh, you talk about uh, uh, overcoming those in that respect. And I, I, wanna, I, I want to uh, sort of how do I put this? I want to take, um, as I, as the phrase, I love the phrase, um, umbrage. Mm -hmm. 
with the phrase screw-ups. I have been trying to eliminate two words from uh, not only my vocabulary, but pretty much everyone's, because I think that they're they're unfair uh, in that they get us thinking in certain ways that we, you know, we really, it, it messes with us. And those two words, interestingly enough, are success and failure. And here's the reason why. And you've, you've heard this example over and over again, I am sure. Right? You've heard this example of Thomas Edison. And he was asked one day, someone walked into a shop and he saw all of those different versions of the light bulb and was asked, so how many times did you fail before you discovered uh, how a light bulb worked? And he says, I never failed. I just found 990 ways the light bulb didn't work. Now, that's, a, to me, a whole different perspective than that he failed 990 times. And that his process wasn't about success or failure. His process was not only about creating the light bulb, you know, an incandescent light bulb, which now is being replaced by the LED, you know, at, at a rather fast pace. But it was also about the learning process. Isn't that part of what education is about? And I'm talking more so formal education. I know that we've got rote memorization, which, uh, boy, it would be a shame uh, if we stayed with that much longer. That is that is a mess because it doesn't really create a practical understanding of what it is that we are being told we're supposed to learn. I mean, didn't you ever say when you were in school, when am I ever going to use trigonometry or calculus <laughs> or stuff? I'm going to be a garbage <clears throat> man or whatever it is you're going to be. Okay. Uh, and we just don't know because we don't know what our future is going to be. Uh, but what about that? In uh, Maybe help us to define that phrase, screw-ups, a little bit better in that context of, uh, say, success and failure. Oh, uh, you know, there's a, there's, a whole part, um, there's a whole part of one of the chapters uh, in the book that, that deals with mistakes, and how just how many tremendous uh, inventions and insights and creative uh, ideas and theories have come from initially mistakes. You know, all great things you'd start to think came from some kind of a a mistake. I think the uh, the post-it was one of those that uh, came out of. He was he was going a totally different direction with whatever he was doing with the with the, the liquid he was working with, and inadvertently yeah. came up with the post-it. Yeah, penicillin. A penicillin's <laughs> I mean, another one. You know, I mean, there are so many things. You know, and I had a had an entire entire section in a chapter on that kind of thing. So mistakes are just tremendous. Uh, uh, moments in time for us to become enormously creative and, and, and understanding in a way that we didn't intend that that's what I like, because if we, remember when we, most of the time we're just doing things on automatic drive. And as soon as we get out of that automatic drive and say, Oh my goodness, you know, I did something I didn't intend on doing here. This is a mistake. Oftentimes, if you look at it and you look at what you can do with that, sometimes it'll bring you into just tremendous 
uh, insights. So uh, that's true. Uh, the 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 screw ups I'm talking about are what are, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the screw ups I'm talking about. I'm going to give you a couple of fun ones at okay. first, and then I'm going to get into a few more serious ones. Uh-oh. <laughs> the screw ups that I'm talking about are, you know, I go out, look, look, you know, there's a lot of humor and, and, and that's another one of the things that got me into this whole, whole thing with attention. Uh, you know, there's a lot of humor, uh, to, to how the human attention mechanism works. Who hasn't gone to the grocery store, for example, I, you know, I've done this so many times, who hasn't gone to the grocery store to buy one item I'm only going there for this one reason. I go to the grocery store. I buy a whole basket full of groceries. I go home. Half the way home, I realize I didn't get the very thing I went there to buy. <laughs> you know, who hasn't done that? All right. So we've done that. Um, you know, who, who hasn't gone out to the parking lot and, and headed for a red car? And then all of a sudden they get or a white car or whatever it is, a blue car. And you get to the car and you realize, oh, my God, that's not my car. It's somebody else's car. I had one person uh, at a workshop I was given tell me I actually got in the car. He told <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! You know, I, whenever we talk about these things, you know, people pe- people tell me their own stories, and they're yeah. they're all so good, you know. Or you know, somebody calling out to somebody they think is their own wife. <laughs> And the person yeah. turns around. It's somebody else, you know. And there's worse versions of that. But I'll yeah. just stop at this, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, so now, you know, let's let's up the ante a little bit. So let's say that you're at work, and you know, you're 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 dealing with your your colleagues, or or you're in the family dealing with people in your family, or with your partner, and and you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe your partner rolls their eyes or something like that. And all of a sudden you lose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you say, Oh, I told myself I'd never do that again because he or she explained to me why they, do. you know, I told myself I'd never do that again. Yeah. Or somebody expresses an idea that's completely different than yours. Mm-hmm. And you're automatically shutting yourself off to the very thing that you need. Yeah. You know, and and it's it's funny, you know, because one time this goes back about about 15 years or so, but I never forgot it. Um, You know, one time I bumped into an individual right at the wrong time at the wrong time, <laughs> you know, and I, I was on the run mm-hmm. and I needed, I needed to finish a piece of research by whatever it was. Let's say it was four o'clock. I needed to finish it by then. And the, you know, the, the clock was running and I couldn't be interrupted. But the problem was it was taking me a while because I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. And so this individual stops me. I, I, I had gone to get it to, to get some water. And this individual spotted me and started talking to me. And I said to myself, Oh no, now I'm never gonna, yeah. I'm never going to get this done. And so I said, you know what? I, you know, mentally said to myself, why don't you practice what you preach in this moment? And it was a dangerous moment to practice what I preach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, sometimes it's easy. This wasn't easy because I had a deadline. So I said, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay right here in this moment. And I stayed there and son of a gun. And I mean this. I, I mean this. If that individual didn't deliver exactly what I need 
and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it, but he said something, and it was exactly what I needed to go upstairs and finish my research. And I got it done on time, and I didn't have to do the work. There I was. And so I have practiced that many times. I've, I've you know, and, and I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm perfect. Like I can do that all the time. I still, you know, but, but I remind myself, this was 15 years ago, maybe plus. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember it distinctly because I forced myself to stay there. And there was the information. It was almost like the research was done without me having to, to complete it. And yeah. there was the piece I was missing. And so my habit, my mistake, my screw up would have been to walk away from that. Right. You know, and so that that's how I define it. You know, when when we because so much of what we do is is on autopilot. Remember, 96 mm-hmm. percent is on autopilot and it's triggered in a millisecond. We almost we almost can't win. And that's why attention comes in, because attention is the brain's mechanism against all that. So if if you want to be better focused, if you want to avoid things like what I just described and worse, mm-hmm. you know, s- some people back into people and hit them in parking lots. You know yeah. I mean? but if you want to avoid whatever your train wreck is, you know, telling yourself, I'm going to pay attention next time, I guarantee you won't work. Mm-hmm. It won't work because because you're the way that mechanism works in our brain is locked in to electrical and chemical coordinates. Okay. And you, you got to get in there and change that or it will change you. Okay. <laughs> it will make you act in ways you don't want to act. And that's why we repeat this. You know, we've got all these phrases. I, you know, I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, same thing, different place. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, we just we go to a different place. We do the same thing over again. We get into a different relationship. We do the same thing over again. Somebody gives up one, uh, you know, one type of, uh, uh, of, of, of of toxin and they get involved in another. You know, it's got to do with substance abuse. It's got to do with, with relationships. It's got to do with every study habits, everything. You know, we've got to go in and literally change that thing, that electrochemical pattern. And then it'll change us. And then that'll be our pattern until we decide to change it. But once you know how to, once you know how to get in there and regulate it, just like your cell phone, when you know how to get in there and use mm-hmm. some of the apps that are in there, you can make the thing hum for yourself. And that's, that's what I'm about. I, I want the, the statistic that, that was most outstanding to me uh, regarding attention and distraction and all that wasn't so much you know, the errors that we make at the workplace, but why, why are we doing that? It's not the cell phone. It's not these things. It's, I hate to tell anybody, but it's us. It's, in, it's, it's an organic thing inside us that we could correct so easily and have so much fun doing it. And the next thing you know, we're operating the way we want to operate. We're the person we want to be. And so- yeah. You know, I, I saw a documentary just the other day on the technology of CRISPR, genetic engineering. And one of the comments that was made by uh, one of the participants, I thought was very profound. And it applies in this instance, and it applies in just about every other instance. And that is 
that it is not the technology that it is that is the problem that is either good or bad. It's how we use it. Period. Absolutely. How we choose to use it, whether it's a cell phone, whether it's CRISPR, whether it doesn't matter. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Joseph uh, Cardello, and we're talking about these wonderful uh, rules, these twelve rules. I want to talk about how. I mean, we could go into the twelve rules. That'd be <laughs> wonderful to do, but. I want to find out how you go about changing the chemical pathways, the neurological pathways, how you rewrite that information so that we don't sit there saying, I'll pay more attention next time. You won't have to because you're already paying attention. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story. I left you on a cliffhanger, didn't I? I hope so. We want you to pay attention. Stay with us here on the program with Dr. Joseph uh, Cardello. And we're talking about the uh, 12 rules, those wonderful, miraculous 12 rules of attention, how to avoid screw-ups, uh, ha- free up a headspace, do more and be more at work. And we thank you so much for staying with us here on the program as well, uh, doctor. And uh, I, I, st- I ended the last segment by asking you, how do we rewrite the the neural pathways? How do we reformulate the chemistry? Because you used both of those analogies, those uh, items there, uh, in order to stop even having to consider saying, I'll pay attention next time. That's a great question. That's great. And, and I'm going to try to frame that because really that's getting into the heart of the matter. So... First, I want to say that our attention mechanism is like an ultra sophisticated fetching mechanism. And so whenever we're in an experience, whatever that experience is, what happens, and this happens in a millisecond, our mind sends out kind of like a little scout to find solutions for us. So, for example, uh, I just had, uh, let's say, I just had a a very difficult uh, email from someone and I responded to it and I have to go to an office meeting. Or or my partner just rolled his or her eyes for the thousandth time (laughs) and I'm I'm having this, I'm going to have this response. We, We have the response so fast that we feel that there's no time between I see somebody roll their eyes, I respond. Somebody cuts me off on the highway, I respond one way or another. Um, But what's happening is, is our attention mechanism in a millisecond is sending out scouts and those scouts traverse our memories of similar incidents. They traverse our feelings during those incidents, our feelings as we, as those incidents, uh, as we were approaching those incidents, they traverse our thoughts within those incidents, they traverse it all. And then they report back to us in a millisecond. And part of our attention mechanism, the CEO, let's say, of our attention mechanism, our executive attention makes a decision in a millisecond, I'm going to go with this one, Mm -hmm. with this Mm. fix. And 
So why do we, you know, I talked about, uh, about the negative pattern. You know, we, we do something that we wish we didn't do, and then we say, ah, I did it for the thousandth time. Why does that happen? Well, the reason that it happens is because what those scouts go looking for are patterns. These are the patterns. This is what you felt. This is what you thought. And then this is how you acted within this situation when it came up before. And it brings it back and it reports it. And you go generally, unless you intercede, unless you regulate it, you'll go with the most common pattern, with a pattern that is most dominant. In other words, the one I've been using lately. Mm -hmm. That's what you'll go with. And so uh, we can change that. In order to change it, we have to change the pattern. Uh, and it doesn't work like magic. It, it's different. The kind of stuff that I talk about is different than a pharmaceutical, for example. A pharmaceutical kind of kicks in right away, full force. Mm -hmm. These kind of mind-body natural uh, ways of regulating our thoughts and feelings and behaviors and even our, our phys physiology don't work that way. They take a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks to really kick in entirely. So you might feel a little benefit right away. You might say to yourself, well, I'm going to change that pattern, but then the pattern doesn't change. You know, you can't get down on yourself because the way it works is what happens is you're developing a new pattern and, and what happens is you're weakening that old uh, pattern that's firing in your head. You're weakening that. So the first time you try it, you, you'll probably default back to that pattern you don't like, and you'll keep defaulting back to it. But each time when you, when you visualize yourself re-engaging a new pattern, you'll weaken the old one until it disappears. And eventually it'll get weak enough, the new one will take over, weaken it even further, and it'll disappear. And the new one will be your, your ongoing default pattern. Then it'll be automatized and you don't have to worry about it. You'll act the way you want until you want to change it. But if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you a couple of things that work like magic. Okay. I like and magic. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I like it too. <laughs> I like it too. Um, so there's two mechanisms that are connected to this that have become so much a part of our vernacular. One is the term awareness. Be mm -hmm. aware, make yourself aware. You know, you'd say, well, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. What is, what is awareness? You know, how's that different from attention? Um, and mindfulness. You know, when I started seeing mindfulness, I don't know about you, but when I started seeing mindfulness on the cover of huge commercial magazines, mm -hmm. maybe more than once a year, I started thinking, we've come a long way, baby. We really have. Yeah. And uh, I mean, 50 years ago, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. So what awareness is, can, awareness to me is, is, is just a magical mechanism. Not really. It's, 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 it's hardwired, mm -hmm. but it works magic. Yeah. We don't use it enough. Here's how it works. Uh, both of my daughters at the moment are upstairs studying because that's what they do these times. <laughs> yeah. During these times. So they're upstairs studying right now. And I don't need to be paying attention to them at all to be aware of the fact that they're up there. If I were, if I were boiling some water for a cup of tea in the kitchen, I'm aware of the fact 
that I'm doing that, but I don't necessarily have to be paying attention to it to know that that's what's going on in the kitchen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so awareness is, works that way. The benefit of, of awareness is this. Let's say I'm driving down the highway and I see a sign and the sign is for a, a really tight hairpin turn you know, those there, we don't want to go around more than five miles an hour. If that, there's a couple, yeah. yeah, there's a couple of those here in the Berkshires, you know, and you really got to watch it. Uh, so out here, we, we start to get road signs a couple of miles before the hairpin turn. That was the really bad ones like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you're reminded a couple of times there's a hairpin turn coming up. You can't be paying attention to the hairpin turn because it hasn't happened yet, but you're aware that it's coming up. Now, why would motor vehicle do that? The reason, well, because they want you to take the turn safely, but, but here's what's going on upstairs that makes it work, that makes those signs work. What happens is, is that once you're aware of something, when, when, you're, when you're trying to pay attention to this overwhelming burst of detail, and, and, and you're trying to find the detail that makes sense to the present moment. Once you're pre-aware of anything, you'll spot those details first. So if, and that has a good and negative side, but let's look at the good side. So if I'm aware of the hairpin turn, as soon as the details start presenting, oh, this must be it then I pay attention to those details. My attention goes right to those details. The other cool thing about awareness is, is that when your attention goes to it, it sticks to it longer. And so it's like an attentional glue. So not only do you pay attention to that detail, but you stay on it a little longer than you would if you weren't pre-aware. And this has all been tested in labs. So that's how that works. So making yourself pre-aware can give you the, those split seconds of focus, of staying with something that are going to make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And so awareness and particularly pre-awareness will be able to intercede in that millisecond of my attention scouts going out and bringing back informations and, and make me stick to the one solution that I want longer enough to, enough to respond in a millisecond, mm-hmm. just like motor vehicle knows we'll do for a hairpin turn. Mindfulness is related to this, but it's not the same thing. Mindfulness uh, I wish I had my cell phone here, but I turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> mindfulness, I, the best way I can explain mindfulness, like uh, over the years, we've come to appreciate mindfulness as being present to the moment. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I mean, because that's really brought mindfulness into everyday conversation to the point where we even use it with our kids at the dinner table. Uh, you know, be mindful. But mindfulness is is, is actually more than that. And we can get a lot more use out of it if we pay attention to this. Mindfulness is actually the energy within our presence. 
So for example, you know, on the cell phone, we have that, if you go to, you can go to, to a place on your cell phone where there's like a bar. And if you move the bar up, your flashlight gets brighter. Yeah. And if you slide it down, it gets duller. Mm -hmm. And so that's how mindfulness works. Mindfulness is the energy that you bring in, the wattage that you bring into the present moment and you can increase it or you can decrease it. So I can be in the present moment and be very dull. And so I can be present all right, but I'm not taking much in because my energy is low. Mindfulness is you can increase the energy on any detail in the present moment. So for example, if I tell you uh, to put your attention on your big toe, you can do that now. Mm-hmm. Two seconds ago, you weren't even aware that it existed. <laughs> but now you can put your attention on your big toe and you can increase the energy to the point where you can you know, wiggle it around and feel your sock. Mm-hmm. If you push it just right, you can feel the floor below your sock. You can feel your shoe, the sole of your shoe. Uh, if you don't have socks or shoes on, you can feel the air touching your toe. I, you can make your, your uh, awareness and attention on that toe so acute that you can feel things that you are totally unaware of. So mindfulness is the energy that you bring into both awareness and attention. So it increases the wattage. When you use mindfulness with awareness, it becomes a whole different animal. Now it's a very powerful, it's a powerful tool to begin with, but now it's a really powerful tool. And if you use both of those with your fetching mechanism, if you make yourself pre-aware, then then you can start to have regulation over moments. And there's another uh, magical way to kind of do that. Uh, For years in the mind-body business, we've been talking about visualization. And visualization is really an ancient skill. It's nothing new. You know, and athletes have used it forever, uh, visualization. So what we do is we try to visualize the way we want something to be. We We also use reflection. We look at something that happened and create a mental movie over it and kind of go over what we did and spot what was good and spot what we'd like to disappear next time we we are in a similar experience. So I can use reflection. So let's say, you know, let's say my partner rolls his or her eyes and I'm and I respond in a way I wish I never did. Then later on, I mean, I couldn't stop that. But later on, I can reflect on it and say, wow, that happened really quick and try to try to see what disposition brought me into that. Try to see what I was feeling, thinking, acting and so on and brought me into that. And so I'm, I'm ref- and I can identify the things that brought me into it. And sometimes I find I find uh, things that I didn't suspect that, mm-hmm. that brought. But but, you know, I can reflect on that and identify the exact feelings, thoughts, and actions that I want to edit or even edit out. And then I can create a new behavior as a substitute. When I create that as a substitute, I can visualize it now. I can visualize myself in the situation I'm trying to control and regulate, substituting the new behavior. Now, when I do, I'm going to make myself aware that that's what I want to change. I'm going to bring I'm going to bring the energy of my awareness way up. I'm going to make myself really mindful of that. 
And I'm going to do it more than once. Because if I do it just once, it's not going to do much at all. Probably won't do anything, honestly. You have to do this many times to develop the habit, the pattern, you know, to, to, start, to, to start to put pressure on the other coordinates up here to disappear. You don't want them anymore, that right. you want these coordinates to be your default mechanism. And little by little, if you, so let's say that you've got a, a meeting coming up at work and let's say that at the meeting, you, you know, you, you act a certain way and you want to change that. Uh, if you practice that before with awareness, mindfulness, repetition, visualization, and reflection, when you go into that meeting, you will already establish new coordinates and they'll start to work for you. They're not going to work magic for about three weeks. Mm -hmm. But in three weeks, you'll start to behave this way. You'll feel the other one decaying and going away. And then you'll have established a new behavior for yourself. Mm. It's just a wonderful way to change our behavior, our, the way our attention mechanism works. And again, it could be emotional. It could be, uh, uh, it could be your, your actions. It could be your thinking. It, you can change any part of your mind with that pattern. You know, I had uh, two experiences, 15 to 20, well, 15 to 18 years apart. Um, and they were similar, but I had two different reactions to it. And maybe it was partly because um, from the first situation, I learned that I hadn't done anything wrong, but I was sort of taken to the woodshed by my employer. And the second time I was taken to the woodshed by my employer, different employer, but the first employer was there in the second instance because a corporation had bought both radio stations and he was still working for the one. I was working for another one. We were all together in the same building. Very unusual situation. Uh, and basically what happened was the first situation was where uh, my boss told me after we had just redesigned our studios out at the transmitter site, I don't want you to move any furniture unless you check with me first, which I thought was a weird request it's like, wow, a real control freak, aren't you? You don't even work out here, and you don't want me to move the furniture. Well, one day I was training a new employee, a good friend who became a good friend of mine. And I was vacuuming, and I needed to move this big counter space. <laughs> and I moved it. Guess who shows up? The general manager, <laughs> right? Oh, he went nuts, dragged me into the transmitter room, closed the door, and <laughs> proceeded to ream me a new one. I couldn't sleep for three days and I finally called him back out and I said, we need to talk. And I explained to him, I says, I finally remembered why I moved that piece of uh, furniture because I was cleaning. I would have moved it back. And of course, he couldn't have been more apologetic. Well, 15 to 18 years later, new corporation comes along. I'm working for a, a, a different station. They buy the station I'm working for. They buy the station that he that I used to work for still run by the old general manager. And, uh, we were uh, redesigning the studio again, uh, from a technical standpoint. And I was resisting the chief engineers push to, we need to go ahead and hook this up. I said, the, the, the people that I've talked with said, no, not yet. We, that we're waiting for the code. Da, 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 da. Finally, one day I was called into the uh, office of the new GM with the old GM sitting in a chair observing and I knew I had done nothing wrong. And I will tell you that I sat in open body posture, which for those of you who don't know, is your both feet are on the floor. Your hands are on each of your knees, respectively, left and right. And you just sit there. 
And because I knew that I hadn't done anything wrong, I'm not saying I was in the right. I had to keep from laughing at the similarity to the situation I just described to you 18 years earlier. Mm-hmm. And I let the general manager rant and rave. He circled the conference table in me three or four times. <clears throat> you know, that whole thing. I would look at the old GM thinking, do you remember uh, you and I went through something like this uh, not too long ago and so forth? And of course, um, uh, you know, when everything worked out and it, everything was good after the, all of that, we, you know, everything went according to plan. But it was those two situations where I could have acquiesced, gone back into my childhood, shrunk, been fearful, had trouble sleeping for the next two or three nights and that kind of thing. But it was a whole different perspective. Would you say that? And I was very attentive both times. The first time more out of fear than anything else. But this time more out of amusement of this little, I, I, the little, little game they were playing. Would you say that over that period of time, I was actually able to sort of rewrite the synapses or uh, reformulate the chemistry uh, to observe what was going on rather than get drawn into it emotionally? Yeah, and I, and I, think, I think that, um, I mean, there were, I don't want to speak for you, so I'd rather pose it as a question because mm-hmm. that's a great story. I love that story. Mm-hmm. I really love that. You know, in fact, in fact, my my wife and I were were talking uh, pretty uh, pretty deeply on a on a similar talk topic of somebody who had the opposite experience, who who woke up almost <laughs> woke up, you know, fifteen years later, and you know, and and it was like hadn't skipped a beat. The coordinates just kicked right in. But I, I but I think that. I think that your story's great. I mean, what do you, it seems to me that, that there was probably a lot of, um, uh, of new experiences or learning that, that you were drawing from somewhere yeah. that, that might've uh, new, new experiences that you had with new, ma- ma- you know, new understandings, mm-hmm. it, it, but not necessarily that same incident, but yeah. that, came in to bear you think you think it was i i think it was i had been through quite a number of other things had been through some personal growth programs uh, over those years in between and and uh um you know had those uh, wonderful insights into myself and what have you trying to do the the growth work as they said as they say back then uh and realized that uh if you if it ain't yours don't own it you know uh, I, I certainly wasn't going to apologize for my position because my position was solely based upon the information that I had from the various manufacturers of the equipment we were working with at that time. If they had told me something differently, I would have passed that on and said, oh, oh, they just let me know that it's okay. As a matter of fact, after that incident, I did touch base with the manufacturer again and they said, well, apparently whoever you spoke with misspoke because actually the equipment will work if you hook it up right now, even without the code. It just means that the other piece that it's hooked up to isn't going to be 100% functional. doesn't mean that you won't be able to do what you want to do. It just means that you'll only have X number of channels instead of Y because you don't have the code. 
And as soon as we get you the code, then you can have Y number of channels. And it's like, if they had told me that from the very beginning, none of this would have happened. But again, yeah. I was doing my job being diligent. I wasn't going to jeopardize the station over some overzealous engineer at that time. That's the way I observed it uh, to to say, OK, and then we flip the switch and the thing blows up or something or shorts out or what have you. Now, what are we going to do? You know, and yet if it had worked, I would have said, hey, OK, I'm wrong. Uh, that uh, the information I was given was incorrect, and I don't know why, but there you go. Before we go any further, I want to let our listeners know you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. We're talking about the 12 Rules of Attention with uh, Dr. Joseph Car uh, Cardello, uh, Ph.D., I might add, and we certainly hope that you will go to his website. And that website actually is, if I'm not mistaken, it actually is your name, uh, correct? It is actually yes. josephcardello.com. That's J O S. E-P-H-C-A-R-D-I-O-I-L-L-O. That's C-A-R-D-I-L-L-O.com. And you can also go to the website. There's a website for the book also called the 12 Rules of Attention.com. And we hope that you will uh, uh, avail yourselves of that as well. Now, before we uh, come to the conclusion of our program, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. If there are people listening going, Richard, why haven't you asked him about the 12 rules? <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, we, that's kind of what we're waiting for. Well, there are two reasons why I haven't asked him about the 12 rules. Number one is probably because we've been talking a little bit about the rules as we've been converse, conversing here, yeah. even though we haven't labeled them. And number two is not that this is an infomercial for the 12 rules of attention, but I want you to get the copy of the book or I want you to go to his website. I want you, you've got to do the research as well. But let me ask you one quick question here in reference to multitasking. Now, there are those who say they can multitask. Wonderful. You can do multiple. <laughs> I multitask all the time, but I've got to go back and double check my work just to be on the safe side because if I get distracted by a third thing, or a fourth thing, then one and two and possibly three could, I, I may make some mistakes. I may screw up. Um, and I remember a study that came out, I'm thinking a couple, three years ago. And it was a study to determine the level of productivity of single taskers versus multitaskers. And the evidence is probably pretty clear just when you think about it that the productivity of the single taskers versus the multitaskers was higher for the single taskers than the multitaskers. And in spite of the fact that in many businesses prior to the virus and all of that stuff, <clears throat> we were a lot of people were being uh, thrown into jobs where they were doing multiple tasks. Whereas before you had two or three other people to do each of those individual tasks. And now one person is doing all of that stuff. And then they wonder why mistakes are made. Uh, is, is business, because uh, you obviously deal with companies uh, down the, uh, as you move through the day and the week and the month and the year. Uh, are they starting to get the message that 
you can't do that to people if you want your company to succeed, not if you want your employee not to walk out of here with a, a meltdown. But if your company is going to succeed, you've got to cut back on the workload of each individual if they're doing the job of three and four and five people. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. And, um, you know, there's, there's some factors that come into that. But, yeah, uh, you know, I think that, I mean, one of the, one of the, major, one of the major sections of my, of my book and my thinking is how, how do you bring yourself into what you're doing? Because mm-hmm. I think that's so important. Um, you know, I started my whole, uh, my, my whole research really decades ago, uh, you know, trying to understand, you know, when, when our mind slips into that beautiful flowing mindset, you know, that we, we wish we could experience as many times as possible throughout the day when things are just going great. It doesn't matter really what we're doing. We're just performing at the top of our game. We're, we're not even thinking about, and when we're done, we're kind of happy and satisfied and Mm -hmm. we don't feel, we don't feel the opposite. Like when we're doing something we don't like, or when we're overtasked and we feel labored and fatigued and, and all that, everything's working pretty sharp for us. And, you know, I, I, I began, I began everything trying to understand that mindset and, and if I, and, and is there a way that we could self-regulate that, make it happen? Yeah. Um, and, and, and the answer is yes. And, and the answer is not only yes, but many of the things that we can do to self-regulate that mindset are simple for somebody. It might be just going out and taking a walk Yeah. when they're, you know, taking a walk. I, who hasn't done that? And what I try to lead people through in my book is the different things that allow you to find out what triggers your flowing mindset and what can lock you into it for the next task. Because one of the hallmarks, I believe one of the hallmarks of, of my work is I want to get you into the healthiest, most flowing mindset that you are in that you can be in and show you how to transfer that to whatever you're going to do next. Right. So the, the idea of getting into a great mindset is not new, but my idea is to try to get into whatever that flowing mindset feels like for you to discover it in you and make it compatible with who you are as a person and how can I transfer that into the very next task, whether it's power lifting a bench press, <laughs> you know, or whether it's trying to get along with your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, your partner, whether it's trying to get along with the people at work or whether it's trying to work privately on your own on something creative, you know, and, and I found one, one thing that I found is that many mindsets transfer, not just this flowing mindset, although that's very important. Mm-hmm. There's an organized mindset that we all have, and we know it. We recognize it in ourselves when we really feel organized and we're working and we're, it's as if we're working from a plan, even though we're not. We're mm-hmm. organized, and I and I have step by step ways of identifying that organized mindset within 
us individually and how I can employ it then into the next thing I do. Because once you establish the mindset, once you create the coordinates, you can transfer them. Yeah. And that's a big thing. That's a really big thing. What If it's a relaxed mindset, you can transfer it. If it's an arousing mindset, you can transfer. So that's a big thing because now you're choosing the state of mind that you want to bring in to the various experiences of your life. And they all call for slightly different things, mm -hmm. you know, and multitasking is one of those things that can disrupt it. But, you know, it's a, that's one of those words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's one of those words, like, let's say I'm driving down the, the highway and, you know, my wife sitting next to me trying to, you know, go over with me the, uh, the, a recipe for cheesecake or something, you know, and, and, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to negotiate turns on the interstate and also remember how to, you know, how we yeah. cook the cheesecake. Yeah. That's not going to work out too well, no. but if she's, if she's following a map and explaining to me where the next turn is coming up mm -hmm. and I'm listening to her and watching for the turn, well, then that's going to work out. Okay. Because yeah. they're close, they're closely related. So this word multitasking is kind of funny. Yeah, it is. I, I, uh, speaking of maps, uh, we, uh, we use the, for the first time a couple, three years ago, we used uh, GPS on my phone to, to go. Now we knew already where we were going. So we were we were more using uh, GPS uh, and uh, say Google Maps uh, more as a, a diversion of sorts, just sort of entertainment. And back then, when we were using it, it wasn't that accurate. It was within about a hundred feet. It's much more accurate today. <laughs> so every so often, as we're traveling up to 101 towards uh, Cambria, uh, it would tell us uh, at the next uh, at next intersection. Turn left and get back on the 101. Well, wait a minute. We never left the 101. So we'd be yeah. making derogatory comments towards her. What are you, crazy? And then uh, all these kinds of things. Uh, and so usually it is more for uh, entertainment than it is for actual guidance. Although there are times, yes, I absolutely use it in that regard. Multitasking, yes, uh, I, I, you know, I'm guilty of it from that standpoint. Uh, but I, I have I have processes that I go through. I am I am very organized. Matter of fact, um, now that I am doing video editing that I've been doing since August of 2020, actually going back to July, come to think of it, uh, in uh, Zoom Theater, I, I, I helped to produce uh, Zoom Theater uh, on on the internet uh, for a group of local and when I say local, Central Southern California actors and directors and so forth, and it's really a lot of fun. And um, I remember talking with a dear, a good friend of mine who is a videographer who used to do uh, some video editing upstairs above the radio station. And he said the first and main rule in video editing is be organized. Because if you're not, when you get down the road with that piece of video that you're working on, it's going to be a mess. And so... I'm very organized because I'm as organized with that as I have been for the last 20, 30 years or more uh, with audio editing, you know, uh, where, you know, I can, you know, if, if we do a commercial for someone today that we did 10 years ago and they come in and say, you know, we'd like to upgrade the, the, the script a little bit, but we want to keep the music. Do you still have that? I say, yep. I still have it. I even have the session that it was created in. And all we do is pull out the voice and put in your voice today. Got the music there already. It's all set to go. And we'll say, save it as a revised version. And it takes as much, you know, it doesn't take time at all. 
So being organized is is key in pretty much mm-hmm. uh, any endeavor, uh, no matter what you're dealing with. And these 12 rules are not just for the workplace, for business. These would apply in every area of one's life, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> because one of the things that uh, I, I just enjoy, uh, you know, um, presenting uh, at, at with many of the groups that I talk to uh, is that, you know, of course, I, I now I've been I, I've been working in the, in, in, you know, in the mind body business, you know, to try to understand and 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 add some more information to what we know about the body mind connection for decades now and the one thing that keeps coming back to me over and over again is it doesn't matter what aspect of our lives we're looking at it doesn't matter what part of our body mind connection whether it's physical emotional cognitive spiritual doesn't matter what it is um attention is going to play a major role in it. I mean, attention is going to play a major role to you know the way I behave in an office meeting with my partner, the way I, the, whether I have an insight or not as I'm t- trying to type a creative manuscript or d- do a piece of research. But even if I even if I go into other realms, like if I if I consider a meditation I might be doing, attention is going to play a prime role in that meditation. And even if in the meditation, you want to turn off your attention and just not be paying attention to anything in particular, you still have to turn it off. So Mm. you still have to go in there and regulate your attention to turn it off to make sure that you have no attention and you just have consciousness. Attention is at the core of it all. It's a, it's a, it's something we don't suspect. Um, If, if, if we're depressed, if we're happy, if we're aroused, if we're excited and joyful, if we lack all those things, it might be the way we're paying attention. And mm. likely it is. <laughs> that, that, that almost sounds like an oxymoron. In order to not pay attention, you've got to pay attention to not paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get in there and turn that thing off. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. And that's a very good uh, uh, thing to do, especially if we're we're going to dive into 2020 or the 2020s, the decade of uh, the decade of uh, uh, of a perfect vision, where we encourage people to go within, to spend that contemplative time uh, with consciousness, with the still small voice, and so forth, to find peace and calm and tranquility, and so forth and so on. Uh, you've got to go in and you've got to turn that off. I have a real difficult time. I, I used to do it. I don't anymore because I, I just, I can't do it. It's just not in me right now to do this unless I'm in a place where I'm free to. And that is, I can't wear both earbuds or a set of headphones over both ears. Uh, I cannot diminish one ear, uh, uh, both ears. I've got to keep one ear open to be aware of other things that might be happening. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the exception to that rule might be, might be, uh, if I was somewhere out in nature, my wife and I might take the camper, uh, the travel trailer and the truck and go camping somewhere. And we're just going to sit, sit back in our chairs and relax and just enjoy 
enjoy nature and just listen. But in terms of, of, of I guess, sort of masking or covering up one of my senses, I have a hard time. I have a hard time with that uh, because I feel as though I need to be aware at all times, even though I might have either you, Joseph, in my ear uh, or music or maybe the Celestine Prophecy, which, by the way, you elicited in my mind that book uh, because you talked about uh, messages that we give to one another. You phrased it a little differently, but I, it sounded to me in that fashion like one of the examples that you gave where someone uh, you were uh, having to deal with uh, that you didn't think re- you wanted to, but you said, you know, if I'm going to l- practice what I preach, I better listen to this person. And they gave you something that allowed you to go up and write your your piece uh, upstairs. And that, to me, is so critical in terms of paying attention. I've, I've had that happen to me on more than one occasion where I'm walking in Santa Barbara. I'm walking, taking a walk, just relaxing. And um, all of a sudden, I come across somebody. And somehow we hit it off. I had this happen with one gentleman. And um, I want to I can't remember if I was carrying a book or he was, but we got to talking a little bit. I had never seen this guy before. And somehow we'd had this little connection because of the book and our conversation was no more than five minutes. And we both left the other, at least I left, feeling really good, very positive, very, you know, that kind of thing. It was really kind of cool. Oh, it's very cool. And, and I, you know, I, I've been working with, with uh, new and different people all the time. And I'm working with some people now. And when I brought my ideas to the table, because we're working on a joint research project right now, but when I brought my ideas to the table, someone said to me, well, she said, that's really, she said, that's really uh, this idea that you have on attention and coordinates and, and so on. She goes, that's really kind of like a skeleton system that she says that's really behind karma. She said that's really behind the law of attraction. She said that's behind some of these really, um, you know, kind of popular ideas these days. And yeah. I said, you know, yes, absolutely. Because when you bring your attention in to things like the law of attraction, you start to understand the, the physiology of how that happens. You understand, listen, I'm a biological being yeah. and, and there's parts of my biology that are here to do just that, you know, and there's parts of my biology that are here to participate in karmic activity. But again, knowing what they are helps. <laughs> yeah, always. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't know what they are, then it's, you know, it's kind of hard. Yeah, and then we learn and build on it. So when you have these experiences, yeah. when I have them, like the one that you re- recalled that I had with that individual, mm-hmm. we got to pay attention to that. Yeah. We got to, something happened. And don't I want that to happen more? Don't I want, you know, don't I want my work to be better and happen easier? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, you also you also uh, uh, described what most, most people in sports would uh, term yes. being in the zone. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, there are times when I'm doing some production, I'm producing this or that, or it doesn't matter what it is. And the next thing I know, I look up and it's like two or three or four hours later, I've completed the project. I had a great time putting it together and I listen back to it and it just sounds fantastic. I mean, and again, I say that 
with the greatest amount of humility I can muster because I wouldn't be able to do most everything that I'm doing if it weren't for a bunch of other people. So I, I you know, this is not a solo act here. I, I'm, I have a responsibility to carry on the lineage of thousands of people over my over plus 40 years in this business um, in, in terms of being able to do what I can do. And I'm very grateful for that uh, and, and, and so forth. But being in that space is yeah. it is just so awesome and sometimes it's uh, building something um uh, even when i was uh, having to um cut down some trees that had died on the property where we live um and i almost crashed it, one of the uh, trees into a fence i mean i i did everything i i remember reading and seeing some stuff on youtube about how to do fell a tree and make sure you do it right so it goes where you want it to go well it did and it missed the fence by <laughs> literally inches Uh, or if my wife, uh, uh, she back in Phoenix bought a greenhouse and a buddy of mine and I, we worked on building it together. took several months. We just bought a new redwood framed greenhouse here in Santa Barbara that we're going to build together. As soon as the weather cools down and we can spend the time outside, we're going to start working together and building that. And, and, uh, and even that in that we will be in the zone because we'll be focused on building that. Uh, and one other thing that I will share with you real quickly, uh, my first wife and I bought a house back in 2000, uh, 19, 1993 in Phoenix, Arizona, a three bedroom, two bath brick house for $43,000. It was, I think, 12, 1400 square feet, nice backyard and everything. And, um, I told my wife then my then wife, uh, that here's, here's the focal point. Okay. It doesn't matter. And then we, we saw the house on September 1st and we closed on the 30th of September. I said, doesn't matter what happens. You've got to always remember what we're doing. And it's not fighting with the appraisers. It's not dealing with the insurance companies. The phrase that we used throughout the entire month was we're buying a house. We are buying a house. That's what we're doing in this month. We are buying a house. And no matter what came along, and we got through it all, we stayed focused on the fact that that's yeah. what we're doing. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that a lot of people, do they not? They get distracted. Their attentions are distracted away from their goal because of the details that come along. And granted, the t- details will make you or break you, but if you get stuck in them, you might be done. Right. And we, you know, we talk about all, a lot of that, what you just uh, relayed uh, to the listeners with, in, in, in my book and in other researches that I've done as well. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about using phrases and using words to kind of reel you in when you start to go astray. We all, we all need to be reeled in and yeah. power words, you know, athletes have used, I call them power words. Athletes have used power words forever you know, to, to, to regulate all kinds of things, you know, when to stop, when to go, when to widen your spotlight of attention, when to narrow your spotlight into a real tight focus and when to execute. We've got all kinds of tricks that we can do with that. By the way, one trick I wanted to share with your readers is mm-hmm. we know, or your listeners, so much of what we talk about sounds sometimes academic, mm-hmm. but it's really quite easy. It's as easy as taking a walk. You know, one of the things that works really well to help get us in that flowing mindset that we were talking about is, is natural sound. So I encourage everybody to find find some natural sound or some piece of music. We already know it puts you in a mood. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we know, oh, here's a piece of music that relaxes me. Here's one that really pumps me up. So I'll use it for athletics. But let me let me tell you this. What One of the things that, that, that we try to do from the research end of all this is to find how how can we take these things that we already do, like take a walk, like uh, play a piece of music, like play the sound of a waterfall or play the sound of a brook, mm-hmm. you know, play the sound of rain. How, how, how can we take some of these things that we do naturally that calm us down and amplify their effect? Yeah. So if we were talking about pharmaceuticals, it would be like increasing the milligrams or make them last longer. Yes. Well, here's a real simple thing that, that your listeners can try. We all have a piece of music that, that pumps us up and we like to put it on. And I used to tell some athletes that I was training, look, I know you're going to think this is not going to work, but try it and watch how it works. One of the things you can do is take that favorite piece of yours that really pumps you up and put it aside for a minute. And before you put that on, instead, play the slowest thing you got. <laughs> play, the, play the slowest piece that you have that mellows you right out. Don't play it too long, about five minutes. If you play it too long, it won't work. About five minutes. Let yourself relax. Let yourself breathe. Get all the tension out of you with that slow piece and then put on the one that really pumps you up. So you're going from a real slow pace thing to something, you know, that's flying <laughs> and, and it'll take you up higher. It'll take you up higher longer and you'll, you'll literally feel the difference. If you do it every time you need it, if you say, okay, I need it in this before I go jogging or before I go to an office meeting or on my way home from work, whatever it is, whatever it is, you'll know when you need it. If you do it every time after a while, it will become an automatic function. Oh, wow. Yeah. You won't need the music at all. What you're doing is you're using that. we're, We're using conditioning. You're using that to condition your mind and that will trigger the electrical and chemical patterns that we talked about at the beginning of this. And then they'll be automated and you'll just do it. You, you'll be like Nike. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. We have been talking today with a Dr. Joseph Cardello, and he's the author of the latest work, 12, 12 Rules of Attention. And it is how to uh, basically uh, avoid uh, screw-ups uh, free up headspace. I still think of a, a computer hard drive when I think of that. Uh, do more and uh, be more at work. Um, and I want to thank you so much for sharing uh, with us and our listeners and our viewers uh, these concepts because it's through the work that you are doing and the work that others are doing that is going to make the biggest difference in changing this world for the better for everyone. When we start paying attention to the here and the now, and and uh, every so often uh, the um, uh, the, um, uh, the the thought comes to me that um, um, I use this analogy of the of the recording. You can see it in the background. All right, there's a line. There's a a, a little white line there. And on the left side of the line, you see the wave. It's being created. On the right side, it's blank. 
It's at that white line that is the now. And the moment you see the wave, it's now the past. The moment, the instant you see the wave, it's already over. It's happened. So it's that white line, if you will. That's the demarcation for the here and the now that we need to be in and to do one other thing. And that is just to be. And that's kind of what we talk about on this program. And I thank you for bringing us this new choice of 12 rules uh, to help others to, to uh, better their lives, their experiences in their relationships, in their workplace, in, in every area of their lives. And we greatly appreciate uh, what you have to offer. And you've, you've got a lot of other stuff we could have talked about, but we wanted to focus on these 12 rules today. But we'd love to have you back to talk about some of the other areas of health and wellness that you deal in in terms of mind, body, spirit. I'd love to. You know, I've, I've listened to several of your shows, quite a few. And, and I love the, the material that you're bringing forth uh, to the public. And I think it's, it's vital it's vital information and 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 it's information that makes our lives better pretty quickly and pretty easily why not you yeah. know why not well that's the beauty of of what you and others have uh, of put together and that is that you've kept it simple uh, you know, we humans, we tend to want to make things complicated because if they're not complicated, then it's not worth it. Supposedly, that's the that's the myth. That's the myth. But when it's kept simple, it's just, oh, life can just flow. And again, I thank you so much for your time. I do have three final questions for you that I do like to ask my guests. <laughs> but before I do, I need to remind our listeners that this program is uh, on the radio uh, on uh, at uh, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sundays and 1 a.m. Uh, Monday mornings, streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcast broadcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry and many other locations. And now the uh, video version of Tell Me Your Story is available on uh, the Tell Me Your Story uh, uh, YouTube channel. So you probably can just type in Tell Me Your Story and boom, it'll take you to the uh, to these interviews. This is one of those that uh, that we're going to have up there as well. And uh, in probably fairly record time, I'm hoping. Uh, my um, And also, if you'd like to support this program, we do have Patreon and pay PayPal accounts for your security as well as ours uh, so that you can support us financially. We'll take energetic healing as well. Uh, and uh, so to the questions that I have for you, the first is... Who is Joseph Cardello? <laughs> well, you know, first, I, I'm, I'm, I'm husband to my wife. I'm father to my children. That's who I am. And uh, beyond that, I, I just feel, you know, I'm, I'm somebody enjoying the journey, you know, with everybody else, including all the little creatures, <laughs> you know, on this planet. And, uh, you know, and trying to, to, to reap as much understanding about our journey, its purpose, um, and make it good as I can for myself, good as I can for people around me. Um, and I enjoy, I enjoy that. I enjoy sharing ways of comprehending the journey and ways of, of making it better when you know when some of us get a good idea it's not always mine you know we're sitting down we get a good idea i want to be there that's yeah. who i am 
What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I wanna I wanna take some some uh, science that can be complicated in the understanding of some ideas. Uh, the science, knowing the science of how the mind might work, uh, how the body might work, and so on. I want to take some of that complicated science and 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 kind of rechannel it into literature uh, and other media's, uh, so that it can be take brought into any household, and anyone can can find ideas in there that pertain to what's going on in their lives, and use them to try to make their lives a little better. Kind of like, you know, having a better refrigerator or stove. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I want to bring something into your household that will make your life better. I want everybody's life to be better. Absolutely. And finally, what is your life's purpose? I think it's discovering that purpose. I think that my wife and I uh, say this a lot. Of course, here I am bringing her into the conversation unedited. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I think that we we were given a mind uh, for a reason that's connected to that. And I think that, that we're given a mind and an intellect to try to to, 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 to understand what our purpose is, to try to get us there. And it's a, it's a constant evolving thing. You know, I, I think it's a, I think that is my purpose is to evolve. It's another one of those things, those oxymorons, (laughs) you know, it's one of those things like I'm aware of it, but you know, I'm never there really, you know. I'm here to evolve to evolve. (laughs) Yeah. Well, again, uh, Joseph, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the program and sharing the the ideas from the uh, the twelve rules of attention. And we look forward to talking with you again. We will also be linked to your website so that people can, uh, as we've said before, uh, continue their evolutionary process. We thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story: New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast. Love to Lal.